Frank, there's a Mr. Jessup online one. Says it's about the Chicago Requisition. Jessup! How are things going in the Windy City? Blanny says he thinks he'd like to sit on it a while. Give it some more thought what? before selling the property. Run it through some other channels. Two-timing jerk! I'll rip his heart out and shove it down his other channels. What does he think he's doing? You do whatever you Frank, there's a Jerry Wilson online too. He says it has something or other to do with a church thing. Frank, I didn't even know you went to church. <laughs> Is this man pulling my leg? Should I get rid of him? Hang on a sec. Jessup, I will be right back with you. Frank! Jerry! How are you doing, brother? Another day to praise the Lord. Amen. Hope I didn't get you at a bad time. God's in control, right? It's his timing. Look, uh, hey, Jerry, uh, hang on just one sec. You do whatever it takes to get that little weasel back into this deal. Hang on a second, I'll be right back with you. God bless you for holding, Jerry. You said to call back today, and I'd get that verse for your testimony on Sunday. I need to get it to Pastor Hunt. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, um, I... I was just reading the testament. The, uh, the old, uh, the, the new testament. I was reading the new testament. Uh, just hang on just a second, Jerry. I'll be right back with you. Did you tell that lowlife that he signed a contract with me? Did you shove that little bit of info into his fat little lying face? I'm sorry, what's that? Jerry? Uh, Jerry, I was just playing with you. Can you hang on just one sec, and I will find where I wrote that verse down. Okay, Jessup, hold on just a sec. Acts 1936. It says you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. Do nothing rash? What do you mean, keep calm? Don't I sound calm? Was that... Frank, was that the... the Bible? Jessup! No, no, uh, that was act, uh, act... Uh, acting, this guy? He's acting, he's acting 19. He's 36 and he's acting 19. Wait till I get my lawyers on his whiny little butt. He will be begging me to take that property. Can you hang on just a second? Okay, Jerry, I think I've got that verse here. It's Acts 1936. Oh yes, know it well. Stay calm. You're truly an inspiration to us all. Do you mind if we pray, Frank? Pray? Can you just hold that thought for just a moment? Jessup! You tell that lying, two-faced, you know what, that I will have him on his knees begging me for mercy. You tell him that. Okay, Jerry. <laughs> Let's pray. We come to you today on our knees. This binding contract that we've signed was sealed with blood. Keep us from sitting on things and running them through other channels. <laughs> and uh, God bless everyone, and please keep a watchful eye on everybody in Chicago. Amen. Okay, Jessup, are you still there, or did that idiot secretary of mine lose you? It's the idiot secretary. Yes, I'll just be going home now with my husband and his parents. Maybe you know them. Pastor and Mrs. Hunt? Oh, yes. I'll make sure to say hello for you. Oh, and God bless. Oh.
Well, good morning. Welcome to the third weekend service at New Spring Church. We're right now in the middle of a series called Games People Play. And it's all about stuff that people do that spend time, energy, resources, and money and lead nowhere. This is the last weekend of the series. The first weekend, I talked to you about Monopoly. And we talked about how that people really would like to get to the place in life where they don't have to roll the dice anymore. No matter what the dice come up, they're secure. And how, how that just doesn't work. And last week, my son Jonathan was here, and he spoke to you about Trivial Pursuit. But today, on this final day of games people play, I want to talk to you about charades. Charades. And let me start off by asking you a question. And it's a very personal question. You don't have to answer out loud or tangibly in any way. But can I ask you a question? Just think about your name for a moment, whatever it is. And then here's my question. Are you living the life or just playing a role? Because here's the thing, when God made you, and I believe this with all my heart, the Bible teaches this, when God made you, he made you just like, you, like he wanted you to be. You know, with all your failures and strengths and your weaknesses and your insecurities and your quirks and little idiosyncrasies that we try to hide from people, God made you the way you are. He gave you a life to live. But the problem is every once in a while, we, we, we're worried that because... Um, well, what happens is we look around and we see that there are people that seem to be popular and they have it all together. And there have been many words in my lifetime to describe, describe that. You know, there's the in crowd or, or groovy or cool or hot or chic or inner circle. There are all kinds of words to describe people that kind of have it all together. And we know ourselves real well and we know that we don't have it all together. And we get this feeling in our minds that says, if I'm going to get anywhere, I want to be where the action is. And so if I'm going to be with that crowd, I can't be myself. And we wind up playing a role. So that's my question for you today as you think about today's topic. Um, Are you the real person? Are you the authentic you? Or have you become uh, just a role in a play or a movie? I remember my, my limited experience with drama was back many years ago when I was in school. Um, I was in debate and forensics, but the drama coach came to me and asked me if I would read for one of the roles for our spring production. And I didn't think anything would come of it. I figured that if I read, maybe I'd get some sort of bit part. But I got the lead in the, ro- in the, pl- in the play, and it was a, a play by Moliere. And um, the English translated from French is The Imaginary Invalid. So when I opened up the play and looked at my character, I saw the description of who I was supposed to be. And then I saw, of course, the script that Moliere had written about the words that I was supposed to say. And the strange thing for me is there could not have been a character more unlike me than that character. Because I'm the kind of person, if I'm sick, I want to keep right on going. If I'm hurt, I want to act like nothing is wrong. And I just totally despise men who are hypochondriacs. But that's the role I had to play. And I had to get into character for that entire spring. And I had to learn the lines to say. And, and when I was on stage for all those productions, I was presenting a character that was not like me at all. And beyond that, I was saying words that I would never say. Well, that, you know, obviously we can contextualize that. But isn't it true that that's what happens with many of us? We figured out that if we're going to cope in life, if we're going to be part of the inner circle, if we're going to be with the in-group, chic, cool, hot, whatever, we can't really be ourselves. And so little by little, we adopt characteristics that aren't us. And we say things that really we don't want to say. We kiss up to people we don't want to kiss up, we don't even like. Somebody has said Americans are the only people in the world who spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. That's probably true. And, and so what happens is before long, you know, we're not the authentic person. And we're playing a role, playing a part. We're playing charades. Well, quickly, somebody could say, well, Mark, are you telling me that I just have to tell everybody everything I'm thinking? Well, that wouldn't be smart. It really wouldn't. <laughs> in fact, the Bible says a fool utters everything that's in his head. 
I mean, for one thing, you just shouldn't do it anyway. And secondly, our minds change. I mean, if you say everything you feel like saying when you're angry, you know, two hours later, you won't feel a lot of things that you felt when you're angry. So I'm not saying that you should just tell everybody everything that's in your mind. And beyond that, there is such a thing as human dignity, which means that I do keep back some things in my own life. But what I am talking about is being to the place where we start presenting ourselves in a way that isn't us. We're not the authentic person. And guys, let me just tell you, if you get nothing else out of today's talk, just get this. God loves the authentic you. God has given you a life. And maybe you don't have what other people have. Maybe you're not what you consider to be attractive. You're attractive to God. But you may not feel like you're so smart or, you're, or you may not feel as gifted as other people, but that's okay. God made you to be you. And if you're not you, nobody will be you. And, and so today I want to talk about playing charades, playing charades. Well, when you play charades, you know the deal. But basically what you're doing is you're saying to everybody in the room, guess who I am, guess what I mean, and guess what I want. And many of us are like that. I mean, actually, our marriages are characterized by that. Guess who I am? Guess what I mean? Guess what I want? And we start playing charades. So why do we do it? Why would we spend precious life, precious days that God has given us to make an impact on the world? Why would we spend precious time being somebody else? Well, this is a powerful book. That's why I love standing before you every week and opening God's book, because we're going to see three characters in in our story in the Bible who played charades. Three different people in three different time frames, and they give us the three reasons why we play charades. So let me just real, real quickly try to tell you some of their stories. Guy number one, his name is Jacob. We call him a patriarch, which means that he was part of the early family of Israel. His grandfather was Abraham. Jacob was a twin. I don't know if we have any twins here or not today, but Jacob was a twin. And in in his culture, things were very different than they are today. The oldest son would get everything. And in, and in Jacob's situation, he was not only living in a family that had economic situations, but they also had spiritual situations. It was the, it was the way things worked that the oldest son would get the lion's share of the inheritance, probably two-thirds of the inheritance, plus being part of Israel and the covenant promises of God, he would be the spiritual head of the family. Jacob's older brother Esau, he was kind of a, a you know, he was like, he had a brick for a brain. I mean, he just was not a sharp guy. He was a, he was a jock. I mean, he, he loved being outside. He loved athletics. He loved sports. He loved hunting. He, he was outdoor kind of guy, but he just didn't have a spiritual side to him. And that just chapped Jacob because Jacob here is the younger twin. He's not the oldest by a matter of seconds, and his older brother's going to get everything, and he didn't know what to do with it. So Jacob's starting to think about what he can do to get the blessing, which is the financial stuff, and the spiritual head of the family. Their dad is elderly, Isaac. He was 40 when he got married, so he, he's really up in years now. And he thinks he's going to die, and he's bedridden. So the day comes when Isaac says to the, to the family, it is time for me to confer the blessing on Esau. And so lying in bed, he said to his oldest son Esau, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and hunt because he was a hunting kind of guy. And he said, I want you to go out and kill a deer and then bring it in, spice it up. In Texas, we would say make deer chili. That's what he wanted him to do. Come in, bring some deer chili into me and I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to turn over the money to you and I'm going to confer upon you the spiritual head of the family. Well, his wife, Rachel, she favored Jacob. See, I, 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 Isaac liked Esau because, you know, he's man's man. And Jacob, on the other hand, he liked cooking. You know, he, he liked watching HGTV on television. 
And his older brother was just like covered with hair, and Jacob was all smooth. You know, he was a metrosexual. And so you sort of have this thing going on in the family, and he's a mama's boy. And, and mom hears what dad is saying, and she is saying, hey, Jacob, let's play charades here. Because here's the deal. If we put you up, put you in Esau's clothes, and let's just be real gentle about this, but, you know, Esau, his clothes smelled a particular way. And Jacob's clothes were downy soft. But she said to Jacob, <laughs> put on Esau's clothes. And because Esau was hairy, she put goat skin on him, you know, so that she knew Isaac was going to want to feel his arm. And she said, we'll make goat chili. He won't, your dad won't tell the difference. So Jacob went in to play charades. And his dad said, well, hey, how'd you catch that deer so fast? Now Jacob's playing charades, you know. He has to come up with something. He said, well, God help me, liar. God didn't help him. Mom helped him. It's not a deer, it's a goat. So his dad said, well, mm, the voice, the voice sounds like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. He conferred the blessing. Why did Jacob play charades? What was his motivation? He wanted something. He, he, he thought he couldn't get it on his own. I mean, he felt like there's no way he could do it by himself, so he just kind of had to give everything a little nudge. He had, to find, he had to juice it up. He had to shoot himself up on steroids because he couldn't get it, he thought, on his own. He wanted something, so he pretended to be somebody else. Guys, that is like one of the primary reasons why we pretend, too. We look at ourselves with our weaknesses and our flaws and our foibles, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with putting your best foot forward. But if we begin to be somebody else in order to get something, well, we'll see how that works in a minute. Story number two. We're going to go forward in time to the days of the early church. It was the very first church, the church in Jerusalem, and it was blowing up. And New Spring is doing that too right now. And, and we all can kind of see what it's like. But for us, we live in a very different culture than the church back then because it was politically incorrect to be a Christ follower. And it's just getting to be in the United States now. But in any event, the, the people, when they accepted Christ, and you saw baptism at the beginning of the service, they would, they would take the public step of baptism, and because it was so politically incorrect to be a Christian, many of these people lost their jobs on the spot. And their families kicked them out, so they had no place to stay. Thousands of people were coming into the church, people that didn't have jobs, people who had no place to stay, and, and it was really a mind-boggler to figure out what to do. There was a guy in the first church, his name was Barnabas. He was a real loving kind of guy. His name means encouragement, encourager. And Barnabas was stepping back watching all this, and these people were having a hard time, and he's thinking, you know what? I have a piece of real estate, and the deal I think I should do is I should sell that real estate and bring the proceeds to the church so that these people who are having a hard time can be helped. And that's what he did. And he wasn't trying to get props. He wasn't trying to get notoriety in the church. He just saw a need. But, you know, when you do something like that, people do look at that and say, wow, that's great. So much so that other people in the church begin to follow his example. If they had real estate, they sold it and brought the money to the church to take care of people who were having a hard time. There was a man and wife in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. And they watched what was going on. And they saw Brother Ananias and, and the, you know, the, the cred he was getting and the kind things and people were saying to him. And they were saying, boy, we'd like to get into some of that. So they, they, they said, we got a piece of real estate. So they sold the real estate, brought the money home, started counting the money up, and they said, ooh, this is more money than we thought it was going to be. Maybe we should just give part of the money to the church and keep back part of the money for ourselves. Was that okay? Totally fine. Totally fine. But a good thing to do. It would have been noble. 
But then they decided to play charades. They said, what if we brought the money to the church, just part of the money, kept back part of it for ourselves, but we told everybody that we gave everything. So why did they play charades? What was their motivation? If, if Jacob's motivation was he wanted to get something, he didn't think he could get it on his own. Ananias and Sapphira's motivation was they wanted everybody to think they were hot stuff. They wanted to come off looking better than they were. The Bible has a word for them in the book of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9. It says, bear to be ordinary and work for a living than to act important and starve in the process. Ever know anybody like that? Man, they were, they're, they're just, you know, better than they were all the time. I mean, they, they had to have the biggest car. They had to have the biggest house. That whatever it is, they got to come off looking good. They got to be the hero of every story. And many of us, if we look very close, we, we're not the authentic person because somehow we figured out if we don't play charades, we're not going to look as good as we want to. Story number three. The guy's name is Ahab. He's king of Israel, and the Bible has this to say about him. He's the worst king they ever had. By the way, let me just give you a little Bible stuff. Many of you are reading through Odyssey 08. That's our, our church is reading through the Bible this year with the one-year Bible. Some of you, back when you were reading um, king, the Kings and Chronicles, you would say, well, wait a minute. I, I would read about one king in Israel, and then all of a sudden it's like there's another king reigning at the same time. And that's because in the days of King David's grandson, Israel split. There was a northern kingdom was known as Israel, and a southern kingdom that was known as Judah. All Jewish people, but they had two different kings. Ahab was king of the northern kingdom, the worst king Israel ever had. The king in the south was named Jehoshaphat. Good man, not smart, but a good man. Very good man. How many of you know that Christians every once in a while can be naive? A little gullible. Well, anyway, get back to my story. Jonathan, my son, talked about Ahab last week. He was a mean guy, did a lot of bad things, a lot of sinful things, a lot of shady stuff. Just wretched guy. But in the last days of his life, of course, he didn't know they were the last days of his life, but he decided that he wanted to go back and take back a city that a marauding power had taken away from him, called Ramoth Gilead. He called Josphat up and said, hey, boy, let's talk about something. He said, how about we put our armies together and we go take Ramoth Gilead back? Josphat says, sounds good to me. I like it. I'm all over it. So they get together, and, you know, they're in Ahab's palace, and Jehoshaphat says, you know, because he's a godfather, Jehoshaphat said, hey, have you checked this thing out with God? And Ahab said, that's not a problem. He brought him 450 prophets. Here's the caveat. They were all on his payroll, and they told him what he wanted to hear. I mean, how many of us, when we're playing charades, we gather people around us who will tell us what we want to hear? Because we're afraid to let them tell us the straight story because it would go back to, am I being my authentic self? So I'll trot these 450 prophets on the payroll. And they all say, oh, yeah, we've prayed about this thing, and God is all over. It's going to be fine. You're going to go out there. You're going to win. Well, Jehoshaphat knows that's a crock. And he said, don't you have any real man of God around here? And Ahab said, well, we got one, but I, I don't like him. He's in jail. He never has anything good to say about me. <laughs> and Joseph said, well, let's hear from him. So Micaiah comes out of jail, and Micaiah's kind of being sarcastic with them at first. And finally, Micaiah said, let me just tell you what's going to happen. First of all, you're going to get killed in this battle. In fact, God has set you up. God even put this idea in your head so that he can get you out there on the field and kill you for all the bad stuff you've been doing. And Ahab said, didn't I tell you? Didn't did I tell you? Guess where he went back? Micaiah went back to jail. I have no idea why Jehoshaphat went along with it, but Jehoshaphat said, okay, let's, let's fine. 
And then Ahab comes up with this idea. He said, Jehoshaphat, let's play charades. Let's switch, let's switch outfits. You, you wear my outfit, I'll wear your outfit. I'm the king of Israel, but I'll go out dressed like the king of Judah. And you're the king of Judah, you go out dressed like the king of Israel. And I am thinking to myself, Jehoshaphat really isn't very bright to take that, that deal. Because what the opposing army, has, what the, the opposing king has said is, look, don't worry whether we win or lose. Just kill Ahab. That's all I want. Well, who's got Ahab's clothes on? Jehoshaphat, the good guy. And Ahab's sitting out there in Jehoshaphat's clothes, and he's thinking he's got it beat. Okay, let's walk through what we've learned so far. Why did Jacob play charades? To get something he wanted. Why did Ananias and Sapphira play charades? They wanted to come off looking good. Why is Ahab playing charades? Man, he doesn't want to take responsibility for the stuff that's in his life. So he's got to be somebody else so that in his mind, he's not going to have to be accountable and deal with what he's done wrong. I was prepping for this message, and I kind of laughed about something. I thought, you know, Jacob wanted to be somebody else. He wanted to be Esau. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be everybody else. Everybody else was doing this. They wanted to do it. And that's what happens with many of us. You know, we want to be you know, everybody, if we're with one group, we want to be like them. We're with a different group, we want to be like them. We're at work, we want to be like, you know, the, the, the corporate set. And then, you know, when we're hanging out, we want to be with a hanging out set. And, you know, it, when we're with a drug set, we, we turn into a druggie. I mean, it's, that's kind of, I want to be everybody else. It's like the, the old lizard, the chameleon that changes colors with where he is. You know, if he's on red, he turns red. If he's on green, he turns green. If he's on scotch tape, I guess he just kind of like blows himself up. So Jacob wanted to be somebody else, and Isis Fire wanted to be everybody else, Ahab wanted to be anybody else. How'd it work? Let's go back to Jacob for a moment because that's where some of us are. We're somebody else. We're playing a role because we want to get something. Maybe we want to, maybe we want to get something financial. Maybe we want to get something that's, you know, we want to get the accolades of other people. Well, how'd it work for Jacob? Guys, watch this real carefully. He played charades to get something God was going to give him anyway. And the worst thing that happened for any of us that are inclined to play charades, especially those of us who are parents, Jacob sent stuff in motion that came back to bite him for the rest of his life. You ever hear the expression, what goes around comes around? God was all over that from the beginning. He calls it sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. And God is saying, whatever it is that you plant, you're going to harvest. What was it Jacob planted? Deception. He played charades. He was telling his dad he was somebody else. Read the man's life throughout the rest of his life. It came back. Everybody deceived Jacob. His wives did. His kids did. His bosses did. He sowed deception. He reaped deception. And the worst part about it was he was somebody else to get something he wanted, and God would have given it to him in his time anyway. Oh, what about Ananias and Sapphira? You see them in church, you know? They've been thinking about this. They've sold the land. They're going to bring the proceeds to the church. Not all of it. And they're going to lie about it. Ananias walks in on Sunday morning, brings the money to Peter, who was pastor of the church there, lays it down and says, here's the money. And I think God has kind of tipped Peter off. Because Peter is saying, is that the whole amount? Ananias said, yep, sure is. And at that moment, Ananias went over like a timber. God just killed him right on the spot. Aren't you glad God doesn't kill people who lie in church today? Like at the offering time or something, you know? We'd be calling 911 every Sunday. He just died right there on the spot. Three hours later, his wife comes to church. 
I guess she was coming to the late service or something. <laughs> and, and, and she walks in, and she doesn't know that Ananias is now part of the television show Six Feet Under. He, he is out there pushing up daisies, and she doesn't know what's happening. And she walks in, and Peter says, you sell a land for so much money? She said, yep, that's the story. I'm sticking to it. Bam, falls over dead. And before she fell over dead, he said, the pallbearers who took your husband out, they're waiting on you. Why did God do that? Like he said, said, he doesn't kill everybody who lies to him, but why did God do that with them? Here's why. God wanted the early church to have a message. God was saying, look, I'm putting you guys together, just like he's putting New Spring together. I'm putting you guys together to be who you are, to go out and change the world. If you're not who you are, you may as well come home. Ananias and Sapphira were believers. They went to heaven. But he's saying, if you're not going to be yourself, why stay? Ahab, the third guy. Remember, he was playing charades because he didn't want to take responsibility. He was thinking, if I hide, I mean, the prophet has said that I'm going to die, and that freaks me out. So maybe if I play charades, God won't find me. Well, the battle takes place. They fight all day. It's the end of the day. And Ahab is saying, this is really cool. I did it. I I made it. The armies are beginning to just back away from each other. And uh, Ahab is in his limo, well, his chariot. And he's sitting there thinking, wow, this worked like a charm. One of the the soldiers on the other side took his bow out. And just at random, just to make a statement on which side he was, he, he took his bow out and he fired an arrow at random. And it caught Ahab right in the joint of his armor, just like in the little gap here, and killed him. Well, what is God teaching us? From Jacob, we learned, you know, if you be somebody else to get something, you know, God will give you what you need anyway, and you'll, and you'll start a pattern of deceit in your life that will come back to bite you. In, in Ananias and Sapphira, we learned, hey, God loves you too much to let you be somebody else. And if we try to come off looking better than we are, it'll backfire on us. And what do we learn with Ahab? We can't hide from accountability. Listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to read to you a text from the book of of, uh, Hebrews. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 verse 13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we're accountable. It doesn't matter whose clothes you're wearing. It doesn't matter how many lies we tell about ourselves to keep from having accountability. God knows who we are at the end. I'm guessing that today, some of us are listening to this talk, and you're saying, okay, I'm about ready to be the real authentic person. After what I've heard you say, you know, if I want something, I'm going to mess life up, and if I try to come off looking better than I am, it'll backfire on me, and if I try to hide from God, I'm not going to do it. So I think I might want to be authentic, but it can be painful, right? To just come out of the play, to come out of the movie and say, hey, wait a minute, guys, this is who I am. It can be painful. Well, let me tell you a story that happened in my life. And let me just first start off by saying that you really have to be secure in your own skin to tell the story. About 10 years ago, actually, we moved into this building 10 years ago next May. So I I realized, you know, it was going to be quite a transition for us. And also, if I was going to make any kind of personal transition, it would be a great time because it's a new building. And then beyond that, I would come out here and I would look at this building as it was being constructed. And you probably can't see this, but on me right now, I have a huge bank of very heavy lights. And candidly, I was kind of starting to bald, okay? I was losing hair in the front and losing hair in the back. 
and I knew those lights would find skin. <laughs> and I was concerned about that. Because when I was a kid growing up, it used to be this saying that if a man is bald in the back, he's a thinker. And if he's bald in the front, he's a lover. And if he's bald in the back and the front, he just thinks he's a lover. So I <laughs> thought about that. I had a buddy, he, could say, he said, Mark, I can, I can make you some hair. He's, he's just a wizard with hair. He said, I, I, can, I can make you a hair piece. And he said, it'll just be great. And so I don't know why I did it. I, I'm, not a, I'm not vain about my appearance or anything. But I said, okay, yeah, I think I'll do that. And I'll, I'll wear it the first Sunday in the new building because it's a time of transition anyway. Everybody's in a new building. They won't notice that I look any different. <laughs> but here's the first thing that I learned about, you know, charades is... I said to myself, if I don't like it, I don't have to wear it. I had no idea how they're going to fasten the thing on. I had a lady told me after the 930 service today, she said her brother went down to get out a hair, get a hair piece, and the guy guaranteed him that it would not fly off his head. It would stay on no matter what. And he, and he said he would have bought it if it hadn't been for the chin strap. But I, <laughs> So I had no idea how they fastened it on. What I didn't know is that they actually have to shave part of the hair that you do have because they got to glue part of it down. And then it's, there's got to be skin so they can tape it. So here's the thing. Once they did that, I realized I was locked in because now I have a racing stripe in the middle of my head. <laughs> and it was difficult from the very beginning. If I was saying Mary Alice didn't like it at all, she called it the thing, the thing. <laughs> And it wasn't long before I found out it owned me. I had to think about it all the time. If you've seen the hair club for men commercial, it says you can swim in it. Well, you can do a lot of things that aren't good. <laughs> and I try to swim in it, and then, you know, you get out of the pool, and it feels like you have a wet cat on top of your head. It just... <laughs> it was really terrible. And by the way... This is not a good state to live in if you have a hairpiece. <laughs> I was conducting a funeral on a cold and windy day. Now, don't get ahead of me now, okay? And I was walking out to the, to the grave, and it didn't blow off, but it popped a wheelie right there. <laughs> Finally, after about two years of that, I decided I've had all I can take of this thing. Time out. Guys, you know clearly I'm not talking about hair pieces. I'm not talking, God doesn't care how you look. I mean, he's not worried about your outside. You know I'm talking about this stuff. But now I have an issue on my hands because by this time we're on television. How, how am I going to explain it? And then beyond that, I'm going to sound so stupid for doing this in the first place. It was on a Sunday morning in the summer of 2001, and I remember it like it was yesterday. In those days, we had this big old podium right here, all, uh, you know, lectern for me to speak from. One of the longest walks I've ever taken in my life. The service had finished. I walked from the, from the platform of the podium over to this very point right here because I remember I was holding on to this corner when I did it. 
I closed out the service by saying, for the last two years, I've worn a hairpiece. And it, because it wasn't like this big carpet or anything, it wasn't very big, a lot of people just couldn't tell it from distance. So I said, I've worn a hairpiece. Next Sunday, I'm not going to have it on when you come to church. And I said, my, my message is going to be called The Case of the Missing Hairpiece. <laughs> what I didn't know was that one of our fellow pastors was on vacation, and he was up in the gallery, and he said that when he heard that, he told his church he would have to take another week of vacation because he wanted to come back <laughs> and hear my talk. I discovered three things about being the authentic me that day. And if you're contemplating breaking the mask and being who you really are, you should know these three things. The first thing that I found out was that the people who loved me were okay with it. The people who loved me, they, they, didn't, they, they laughed at my corny jokes just like you did. And they had fun with it like I had fun with it. That's the thing about being who you really are. You know what? When you tell the people you love who you really are and what you're really all about, they'll be okay with that. The second thing that I discovered was it was so freeing. I didn't have to get up in the morning and think, okay, the things that I plan to do today, is it okay to do them in a hairpiece? Can I swim today? What's the wind like? Does it feel tight? What happens if the tape comes loose? I didn't have to do that. I was totally free. I could just do whatever it was. I mean, I didn't have to worry. About, listen, I mean, this is going to sound corny. Like I say, you have to really be secure in your own skin to go here. But I can tell you, one of the first things that I did when I got rid of that rug was I got in my car and I opened the sunroof and just to feel the wind on my head. It was just <laughs> such a good feeling. Here's the third thing. A lot of years have passed. And my hair is still thin. And God says he knows the number of hairs on our head. With me, it's a declining balance. <laughs> but what's here is me. I think that's the blessing to being authentic, is you can say, okay, maybe I'm not the smartest person in the world. Maybe I'm not the most gifted, most talented person in the world. Maybe I don't even be the most beautiful or attractive person in the world. But what's here is me. It is me. I am who I am. I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to hide from accountability. This is the real authentic me. And maybe some people will like you. Maybe some people won't like you. But I guarantee you one thing. If you're the real person, if you're the real you, the people that matter will like you. The people that matter will like you. Oh, yeah, I left one thing out. On that day when I stood before everybody else and everybody else laughed with me about it, I discovered that day in that message that I gave a lot of people permission to be free about things. So much so that I preached that message all over the country. When you're the authentic person, you give people around you the permission to be real. And beyond that, your friendships are real. You don't have to wonder, does this person just like me because they want something from me? Does this person like me because they want to make a good impression? Is this person like me because they're trying to cover up for themselves and not take accountability? Are they kissing up to me at work just because they don't want to have to deal with... No, when you're the real authentic person, you give people around you permission to be authentic. Well, I can see by the clock, it's time for me to close this talk out, but I'm thankful you're here today. My prayer is that if you're playing charades... Get back in character and be the real you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. 
I could be talking to somebody this morning and say, Mark, I don't even know the real me. I don't even know who I am anymore. Well, let me just say this. It all begins with, with really having a relationship with God because the only person who can tell you who you really are and make you love the person God has made you to be, that person is God. And a relationship with him starts with what Jesus called being born again. It just means starting life over. So how do I do that? You say, Martin, do I, do I join New Spring? Well, I think New Spring's the greatest church in the world, but joining New Spring won't get you out of Cedric County when you die, or Butler, or wherever you live. You say, do I need to get baptized? Well, that's a great symbol. Do I need to start doing better? Well, none of us can be good enough. The Bible tells us the new birth happens this way. In Romans 10, verse 13, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a gift. What what happens in this awesome gift is God takes your sins away because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, and he births you into God's family and gives you everlasting life, and God gives you the ability to be a whole new person. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I do this every weekend in every service. I want to give you a chance to invite Jesus into your life. Now, you won't understand everything about it, I don't, I've been a believer since I was eight years old. I don't understand everything about it. I just know God does it if we ask him. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it slowly. It's a prayer that calls out to God, and you can think about the words, and if you want to repeat these words with me, you can do that. Because what God is listening for, frankly, guys, what God is listening for is a big yes. So if this is in your heart, you pray with me, please. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I can't undo my past. And I don't have the power to change within myself. But I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sins. I believe you arose from the grave. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me. Save me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that happened fast, didn't it? Most important decision you ever made in your life and happened in a matter of seconds. You say, Mark, I'm not sure what hit me. I know something happened, but I'm not sure what hit me. Hey, I have a gift I want to give you. I'm going to turn it right side up here, okay? It's just a vinyl packet. On the inside, it's all about the decisions you just made. There's DVDs. There's great stuff in there to kind of help you on your journey. Free. If you just pray to receive Christ, it's my personal gift to you. won't cost you anything. If you will take your worship folder that you got when you came in today, part of it is detachable. If you'd like for me to mail this to you, you just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Put your address on there. You can drop it in the boxes by the back doors, the bottom of the staircases. And um, I'll, if you pray to receive Christ, I'll mail it to you this week. I know we are jam-packed, and I know what this place is like when we first dismiss. But if you have a few extra seconds, and you don't want to have to wait for me to mail this to you, you don't have to. I'm pointing right through those two middle doors. Right beyond those zo- doors are two zones called New Spring Store and Guest Services. And if you want this today to take home with you, if you pray to receive Christ, just bring the card. You don't have to make a speech. Just say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you, and you take it home with you today. So I'm just so pumped that you're here. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. Envelopes in the back of the pew. 
And, and while we're having the offering, if you will, uh, on the screen behind me, you can take a look at what's going on at New Spring Church. By the way, you'll see this in the, in the thing. Two weeks from this weekend, we're starting a brand new series called Dreams. It's our Christmas series. It is the series of the year. Thanks for being here today. God bless you.